Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Church Online. We're so glad that we have this technology that we can come right into your homes. And I know during this lockdown down period, maybe you're feeling slightly lonely. I want, I want you to know we're missing you just as much as you are missing us. But what a great opportunity we have to be able to come into your homes on this Good Friday morning. Amen. And I want to preach a sermon message to you entitled, Risen for You. We're going to do that part one. And then this coming Sunday, which is Resurrection Sunday, I'm going to continue doing that uh, entitled part two. There's a scripture that I'd like to read right now. And it's found in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 53 and verse 5. And the Amplified is what I'm going to read. And it says that he was despised and rejected and forsaken by men, a man of sorrows and pains, and acquainted with grief and sickness, and like one from whom men hid their faces. He was despised, and we did not appreciate his worth or have any esteem for him. Surely he has borne our griefs, sicknesses, weaknesses, and distresses, and carried our sorrows and pains of punishment, yet we ignorantly considered him stricken, smitten, and afflicted by God as if with leprosy. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our guilt and iniquities. The chastisement needful to obtain peace and well-being for us was upon him. And with the stripes that wounded him, we are healed and made whole. Father, I thank you today as we come to you. We come to your word. You and your word are one. You said that heaven and earth would pass away, but your word will never, ever, ever pass away. And I thank you that as your word comes, that it brings comfort, it brings healing, it brings hope, it brings encouragement. Let the people that are watching online, Lord, let everyone be encouraged. Let them be uplifted from all that is happening in this world right now. I thank you for a supernatural hope that comes in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. Praise the Lord. So we're talking about risen for you, but before Jesus could be risen for you, he had to be crucified for you. And I want to share with you today seven places where Jesus shed his blood and the significance of these seven places. As you may or may not know, the number seven is the number in the Bible of completion and fullness and wholeness. We know that it took five days for God to create the earth, and then on the sixth day, God made his masterpiece that's you and I, and then on the seventh day, he rested, and the seventh day signifying that he had done what he needed to do, and now everything was complete, and everything was in order. And we understand in Deuteronomy 28, verse 7, this is what the Lord spoke. He said, the Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before your face. They shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. 
So the number seven is not just wholeness and completeness, but it also speaks about complete victory and deliverance. I'm believing that a lot of you are going to have complete victory and deliverance. Do you know that when Jesus spoke about setting people free from the powers of darkness, this is what he said in Matthew 12, 29. He said, or how can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man and then he will plunder his house? And then in verse 43 of the same chapter, it says, when an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest and finds none. And then he says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept, and in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself. In other words, what we can deduce from the scripture is that through one man's disobedience, sin was given the power to completely and totally bind every person born into this world. But it took Jesus shedding his blood in seven places to bring about total and complete deliverance to every single person, every child of God that puts their faith in God and faith in His Word. Amen. And so when Jesus was on the cross and He said these words, it is finished, at that moment He atoned for all of your and my sins, all of our diseases, all of our iniquities, all of our sicknesses. And he said, it is finished, meaning I have completed the work that I have come to do. I have paid the price, and there is nothing more today, family of God, that you and I can do to add to the finished work of Calvary. So let's have a look at the seven places where Jesus shed his blood. The first place where Jesus shed his blood was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And of course, the Garden of Gethsemane represents the place of, of pressing. And that is where Jesus, through his blood, was able to redeem your and my will. Hallelujah. So we know that at Gethsemane, that is where Jesus felt the weight of the sins of humanity come upon him. And right there, he knew the suffering that he would have to go through. When you look at the scriptures, Matthew 26 and verse 39, it says he went a little further and fell on his face. He was in the garden of Gethsemane and he prayed and he said, oh my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And then if you read further down in verse 42, again, a second time, he went away and prayed saying, oh, my father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. And we know that in this garden, Jesus was in such agony that actually he dropped, he, he, he sweated drops of blood. His sweat became blood. We know this because Luke 22 and 44 says, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. And you know, medically, I don't know of anybody that has been under such duress. 
and under such pressure, under such agony, that they have sweated drops of blood. But medically, it is possible under dire conditions where you are under extreme duress, where the, your blood vessels, they dilate, and there is osmosis that takes place, and blood comes into the sweat glands, and when you sweat, actually, blood comes out. It's possible. Do you know it was at the Garden of Eden where Adam lost his willpower, his power to say no to sin. But it was in this garden, the Garden of Gethsemane, the Garden of Pressing, that Jesus shed his blood for you and I and gave you back your willpower. Hallelujah. He paid the price for you and I to regain power over our wills. And because of that, we are able to say, uh, we, we are able, we will to love, we will to forgive, we will, we have the power over our will, and we will to worship, we will to be happy, even in the midst of COVID-19, we will to be happy, we will to serve one another, we will to be generous and liberal, hallelujah, we will to be joyful, we will to magnify God, even though there's trouble all around us because we have the power over our wills. Jesus gave up his will so that you and I could take up the Father's will. Hallelujah. And that's why we can say, you know what? It's not about my will, but it's about God's will. And I can declare God's will over my life. You can declare God's will over your marriage, God's will over your business, God's will over your finances, God's will over your thinking and your thoughts, God's will over your body, God's will over over every area of your life. Right there in your home, I want you to lift your hands and say, because Jesus shed blood at Gethsemane, I have power over my will in Jesus' name. Amen. So the second place where Jesus shed his blood was, number two, at the whipping post. And Jesus was taken to that whipping post, and there he shed lots of blood. And ordinarily, men would have died at the whipping post. But Jesus shed his blood at the whipping post to redeem you and I from, from sickness. And it was common in those days for Romans to whip their prisoners and criminals, and they would generally give 40 minus one stripes, 39 stripes, 39 lashes. This is what happened to Paul when we read his account in 2 Corinthians 11 and 24. It says, from the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. According to my maths, 40 minus one is 39 stripes. This is what he took. But Jesus took 39 stripes on his back that you and I might be healed. And the, I'm told that medically there are 39 major diseases. And you can categorize all the major diseases, all the major illnesses, including COVID-19, that which is yet to be discovered, all of the sicknesses, all of the diseases in 39 major classes. Do you know that the woman with the, who had the demonized daughter 
In Matthew 15, 21, do you remember when she came and approached Jesus for healing? She was a Syrophoenician. She wasn't a, a, a part of the Jewish race. And she came there looking for healing, pressing in, looking for healing, because her daughter was severely demonized. And what did Jesus do? The first time, he just ignores her. Then the second time, he just walks right past and said, you know what? I didn't come for you, but I came for the people of Israel. And then and the third time, he insults her by calling her a dog. And the woman didn't stop there. She said, you know what, Jesus, I might be a dog, but even the dogs, they get, at least they get a crumb from the master's table. And I don't need the whole loaf of bread. I don't need the whole covenant pertaining to healing. I don't need the whole covenant. I don't need every form of healing. I just need one crumb because in that one crumb is my healing for my daughter. Amen. And there were 39 stripes placed on Jesus' back. And I don't know what healing you need, but I'm here to tell you that all you need is the one stripe, the one stripe. It might be the stripe for cancer healing. It might be the stripe for COVID-19 healing. It might be the stripe for arthritis healing. In all the 39 stripes, all you need is just the one stripe. Hallelujah. And then the third place where Jesus shed his blood was when they placed the crown of thorns upon his head. And that crown of thorns, he shed his blood in order to break the curse of poverty. Hallelujah. That, that's what John 19 verse 2 says. It says, and the soldiers twisted the crown of thorns and put it on his head and they put on him a purple robe. And the crown of thorns placed on Jesus' head was to wound him and to mock him. And in doing so, when they did that, little did they know that Jesus was winning back your and my prosperity. In Genesis 3 and 17, this is what God said to Adam. He said then to Adam, he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Now look at verse 18. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. So in other words, sin brought about the curse, and the curse in Scripture is typified by thorns and thistles. Look at what Proverbs 15 and 19 says. The way of the lazy man is like a hedge of thorns. In other words, it's saying if you're lazy, you're going to, you're going to, it's going to be just, you're going to reap the curse. You're not going to reap the blessing. And that's typified by a, a hedge of thorns. So whenever you see thorns and thistles in the Bible, you automatically see poverty and lack. But look at what Jesus did for you when blood was shed for you and the crown of thorns was placed upon his head. We can read this in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9. This is a powerful verse of Scripture. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes and my sake he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. 
Family, I'm here to tell you right there in your homes that the curse of poverty has been broken over your life and over your, your, your finances. Generational poverty is broken in Jesus' name. A generational lack is broken in Jesus' name. As a matter of fact, every form and any form of insufficiency is broken because of the crown of thorns that was placed on Jesus' head. The fourth place where Jesus shed his blood was when they placed nails through his hands. Nails that pierced his hands. And blood was shed in order to restore your and my dominion. The Roman crucifixion was such that they would use steel spikes and so they drove these spikes into the hands of Jesus. God had placed all authority in the hands of Adam and Eve when he created them and placed them in the Garden of Eden. But you know what happened when sin came through their disobedience? They lost their authority. And as a result, you and I lost all of our God-given dominion, God-given authority. But Jesus' nails pierced uh, brought back our authority. When they pierced his hands, it was God's way of redeeming back our authority. It was God's way of bringing back our dominion. In Deuteronomy 28 and 8, look at what the Lord says. This is the chapter of the blessings. And it says, the Lord will command the blessing on you in your storehouses and in all to which you set your hand, and to all to which you set your hand, and he will bless you in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. In other words, family, because of the nails in Jesus' hands and his blood was shed for you, whatever you touch from now on is blessed. Whatever you touch multiplies and increases in Jesus' name. In other words, because of the nails in Jesus' hands, you can now lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. You can lay hands on people and bless them in the name of the Lord. You can lay hands on your children's pillow and declare that they are going to serve God. You can lay hands on your children's school books and declare that they will prosper ac academically and excel in their education. Hallelujah. We can lay hands on those who are demonized and rebuke tormenting spirits. You and I can declare declare that everything we put our hands to shall prosper. Why? Because the authority has been returned to our hands through the precious blood of Jesus. The fifth place where Jesus shed his blood was not only nails going through his hands, but nails going through his feet. And blood was shed in order to restore my go and your go and your authority. Hallelujah. What do feet represent? Feet have the ability to carry you to places. Without feet, we go nowhere. You can have a great voice, but if you've got no feet, nobody is going to hear that great voice. And feet generally represent the, ab the ability to move. And how many of you know that the kingdom of God is all about movement? 
even during the COVID-19 lockdown, and we're restricted and we're observing protocol, but the kingdom moves and we advance his work, we advance his love, we advance his hope, we advance his light shining in a dark place, we advance the signs, wonders, and miracles of God. Feet represent the go in the word gospel. Look at Isaiah 52, verse 7. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaims peace, who brings glad tidings of good things. Whenever you go somewhere, that should be the, the, the intent of your heart. Hallelujah. Look at Romans 10 and 15. It says, how shall they preach unless they are sent? So feet represents the scent principle in the scriptures. Amen. Jesus uh, nailed pierced feet, gave us the right to go and preach and teach and heal the sick. Hallelujah. His nail-pierced feet canceled every spirit of shame and embarrassment over our lives, giving you and I, family, the right and authority as ambassadors of Christ to go and represent Him in every form of society, in every area of society. Praise God. But not only that, Jesus' nail-pierced feet gave us the authority Look at what Joshua 1 says, verse 2. Now my servant is dead. Go to verse 3. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you. Hallelujah. So in other words, we can, we can walk on, 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 on land. We can walk on areas. Come on. When, when Adam disobeyed God in the Garden of Eden, he lost dominion and authority. And, and then at that moment, Satan became the God of this world. And because of sin, Satan had every right to trample over you and I. He had every right to trample over our marriages, to trample over us in, in, in every form. But because spikes were were driven through the feet of Jesus and blood was shed. We don't have to be trampled by Satan anymore. Instead, we are to trample Satan. We can trample over poverty. We can trample over fear. We can trample over sickness. Yes, we can even trample over COVID-19. We can trample over all forms of depression and hopelessness in Jesus' name. Look at what Psalm 91, 13 says. You, sitting there in your home, shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent. You shall trample underfoot. Can you say praise the Lord today? I tell you what, as believers, you have the authority to walk around your neighbor. Not now when the, when the restrictions are going to be lifted, but you can walk around your neighborhood and bind the devil in that neighborhood. Bind oppression in that neighborhood. Bind poverty in that neighborhood. Walk around that neighborhood. Every place upon your feet shall tread. God says, I have given you dominion. The sixth place where Jesus shed his blood was when they thrust a spear through the side of Jesus. And Jesus shed his blood there and then to heal your and my broken heart. Jesus' pierced heart 
won back our joy. Look at what John 19, 34 says. But one of the soldiers pierced the side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out. When the soldier shoved a spear, blood and water gushed out. And at that moment, Jesus paid the price for the brokenhearted to be healed. When Jesus came back from the wilderness after 40 days and 40 nights, the first place he went to was church, opened the scroll and began to read from the book of Isaiah. And Luke 4, 18 says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. So in other words, Jesus not only took our sin, but he took the pain of that sin as well. In other words, Jesus knew what it was like to suffer from a broken heart, not only physically on the cross, but also through the betrayal and rejection by the very ones he came to love and call friends. The very ones that he ministered to were some of them the same ones shouting, crucify him, crucify him. It's interesting that when God created Eve, he caused a deep sleep to come upon Adam. And I think maybe that God knew that Adam wouldn't bear the pain of having a bone extracted from out of his side, but he put Adam to sleep. And from out of that side, from the side of Adam, he took out a rib and created a woman. And I believe that a, a spear thrust through the side of Jesus also speaks of every marriage being healed and restored. I want to just encourage you today that if your marriage is, is at sixes and sevens and, and, and perhaps you're going through a, a terrible time in your marriage that the, the, the spear that was thrust was thrust so that your marriage could be healed and could be restored. When a, a spear was thrust to his side, it separated the bone from the flesh. And so I'm, I'm believing God that uh, separations are going to be made whole in Jesus' name. Amen. But Jesus took that separation so that your marriage could be put together. And because of that, we can declare what Jesus said. For this reason, in Matthew 19 and 5, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. I want to declare God's blessings over marriages because a spear was thrust through the side of Jesus and that those marriages are made whole and that what God has joined together, no man can put asunder. If a heart maybe has been broken as a result of mistrust and suspicion, then I declare that because Jesus shed his blood, when a spear was thrust through his side and water and blood gushed out, then I'm declaring that your marriage is cleansed from all mistrust, from all doubt and all suspicion, and that you will be one flesh, one heart, one mind in Jesus' name. Family, the seventh place where Jesus shed his blood was through his bruised heel. 
and his heel was bruised in order to break the power of iniquity. This is in fulfillment with what, with what was prophesied in Genesis 3 and 15. And God speaking, he says, I will put enmity, talking to the devil, between you, the serpent, and the woman, and between your seed, that's the serpent's seed, and her seed, the woman's seed. And he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. In other words, we know that through Jesus dying on the cross, it was the enemy's way to bruise the heel of Jesus. But Jesus dying on the cross was God's way of crushing the head of the serpent. We know that. But look at what Isaiah 53 and 5 says. It says in the Amplified, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our guilt and iniquities. The chastisement needful to obtain peace and well-being for us was upon him. And with the stripes, with those whips that wounded him, we are healed and made whole. I like the way the New Living Translation puts it. It says there, but he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. Interesting that the New Living Translation uses the word crushed. And this is what a bruise is really all about. It's, it's an internal crushing. And if you have a bruise on your body, it means that somewhere in your body, you are bleeding on the inside. And doctors will tell you that it's a whole lot worse for you if you are bleeding internally as opposed to externally. If you're externally bleeding externally, then they can, see, they can see it, they can fix it, they can suture you up, they can deal with it, uh, but not so internally. And sometimes internal bleeding is not readily detectable. Your body might give symptoms like high temperature and fever and illness and not taking in fluids and liquids and foods and stuff. And if they don't get it on time, it could result in death. I want you to know that some bruises last a long time and go very deep. And maybe as you're watching, you're saying, John, there are in fact some bruises in my life that have lasted a long time and they go way, way deep, deep. And sometimes we put on, a, you know, just a farce on the outside and we're laughing and we appear to be happy, but sometimes there are bruises as a result of what's happened in our lives that are there for a long time and they go very deep. But I hear the words of Jesus as he hung on that cross. And you know, almost like as if he was saying, I not only forgive them for what they did to me externally, but even the emotional hurt, the bruises, I, I, I forgive them for what they did to me on the inside. And family, because of what Jesus went through and the great exchange, we have the power on the inside as well as on the outside. In other words, total victory. The word iniquity in Isaiah 53 and verse 3 is a bend in our nature to sin, as our ancestors did, or a wicked act of sin. And that spirit of iniquity tries to break us down. It's like a spiritual force on the inside that pressures us to bow or bend under its destructive nature. And if 
Maybe you today, as you're watching, have a deep bruise on the inside. Maybe it's from divorce or several divorces. Or maybe there's been suicidal tendencies. Maybe you're carrying bruises from sexual abuse. I want you to know that Jesus not only took on the physical, the outward pain, but there was also an internal bruising. And because He took it, it means that you can be healed. You don't have to stay in that place of hurt. You don't have to stay in that place of suffering. It is something, if something is broken internally, let me tell you, religion can't fix it. Self-help can't fix it. Dressing up and abstaining from certain foods can't fix it. It took the cross and the bruising of Jesus to heal the internal sickness of the soul. And through the cross, Jesus is able to change the natures of our hearts. Hallelujah. So family, seven places where Jesus shed his blood. He had to die before he could be risen uh, for you and me. And we know that with every death comes a resurrection. But these are seven places where Jesus shed his blood. The number seven is the number of perfection, of wholeness. And I'm speaking that over your lives right now. As you're watching, I just want you to close your eyes. I want to pray for you. Father, I bring every viewer right now watching from whatever part of the country they're watching, whether it be here in South Africa, different parts of the world, I thank you that your presence knows no boundary, that prayer knows no limitation, and that your power is able to transcend culture, it's able to transcend gender, it's able to transcend even uh, circumstances and the troubles that we are facing right now. And I thank you that through these seven places, I thank you that there is a healing that comes, God, right now, that you're healing bodies, you're healing minds, and even bruises, even that which is not visible to the outside, or to the outsider, but on the inside, you're busy healing. And I speak your blessing in Jesus' name. Family, before we go, I'd like to give those of you that are watching an opportunity. If you're away from God, and you have no peace with God, and uh, you, you feel today, you know what, I need to get back to God. I need to get my life right with God. Then here's the good news, you can. Maybe there's a voice telling you, you know what, you don't qualify. You're not righteous enough. You, who are you? You're not worthy enough. And the good news is that you don't have to be worthy enough. You don't have to be righteous enough because Jesus died in my place and he qualified me. And so coming to him is not about what you can do. It's just simply responding to what he did by faith. And it's a gift that God gives us. The awesome thing that I love about this God, and we always say that, is that He's a God that has unconditional love. Did you ever think about that for a moment? In other words, there's nothing you can do that would merit God loving you. There's no amount of goodness, no amount of well-doing. You can be a great father, but that doesn't mean that God loves you. 
You can be a great citizen, a responsible citizen, a great parent, a great uh, entrepreneur, but that doesn't mean that God needs to love you. His love for you is unconditional. In other words, even before you got up this morning and did anything, God loved you. And He knows everything about you. He knows all the weaknesses. He knows what your thoughts are. He knows what your vulnerabilities are. And still, His hands, His arms are open wide, ready to love and receive you. And the reason is because He created you for Himself. And so today, I feel God's love drawing you back to the heart of the Father. And you're in your homes and you're saying, Pastor John, you know what? I need God. I need, to, I need to get my life right with God. Maybe during this 21 days of lockdown, it might be just a, a moment for you just to think about your life, to think about who are you, where are you, what were you born to do? You weren't just born nilly-willy, like you're just floating there, having no purpose. You were not an accident, even though your parents might have told you you're an accident. Not in the eyes of God. The Bible says, even whilst you were in your mother's womb, He knew you. And we all have unique fingerprints. In other words, every one of us is unique. Every one of us is special. You have talents that I don't have, and I have talents that you don't have. And so we were made by God and specially made, specially designed. And He does have a, a plan for your future. He does have a plan for your marriage. And so today, if you're away from God, for whatever reason, you missed the mark, for whatever reason it is, I want you to open your heart. And if that's you, then I simply want you to pray this prayer after me. Say, Heavenly Father, I come to you today in Jesus' name. And I ask you for forgiveness. I recognize the fact that I'm away from you and that I need you. I sense your love. And right now, I open my heart to receive this amazing love that I can't even comprehend why you would love me, but you do. And your love is unconditional. And I open my heart to your amazing love. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for embracing me. When nobody else embraced me, you today have embraced me. When nobody else accepted me, you today have accepted me. And right now, I receive eternal life and the forgiveness of all of my sins. And I'll never be the same in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, family, if you pray that prayer, whoever you are, the details are coming up right now on your screen. We'd love to hear from you. Even if you need prayer, we want you to know that even as a country, we might be in lockdown mode. We're not in lockdown mode, which means our pastors are available to care for you, to pray for you. Obviously, they can't visit you, but we are on social media. We are using technology to reach out to you to do whatever we need to do to ensure that you are taken care of because you matter to God and you matter to us. But let us know what it is that God has done in your life. If there's prayer requests, send those in right now. Our email address is on the screen. Our WhatsApp number is there as well. 
And obviously, we have all our elders and our lay pastors, our pastors, our life group leaders that are watching out for you. Even during this lockdown mode, it's important that we stay connected. It's important that we're just, you know, looking out for each other and we're looking out for you and hopefully you're looking out for us as well. We're praying for you and we're praying uh, for each other as well. Amen. So uh, um, know that we love you. Know that you're being cared for. I, I look forward to spending Sunday morning, resurrection morning, to share part two of this message with you. God bless you.